Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we've got a return guest who we had on a couple weeks ago, but we want to dive a little bit deeper with him. We're talking to Mr. Sonny McCompsey from Arkansas. Sonny, how are you? How's everything going, guys? Doing pretty doing good. Well. Doing good. Hey, I like that. I like that little eye candy you got sitting there on the desk next to you. Big old, yeah. what is that, a Kansas buck? You said? Yeah, this is Kansas buck right here. We took it on film on our Arkansas Extreme Outdoors last year. So it's not a monster, but we had decoys out and everything played together. So we decided to take him and use our tag. So Man. it's pretty, it's pretty good deer. You know, normally I wouldn't shoot nothing that small, um, but I did. <laughs> and uh, 
obviously messed up, seen a monster later in the season with nothing but a dough tag in my pocket. So shoot man uh, that's a monster where i come from uh jacob how are you doing uh, doing well i was gonna let everybody know again all podcast guys are video podcasts now so you can go over to youtube and watch this right now maybe not the time you're listening especially if you listen like five six o'clock in the morning but at some point today this video is going to be up on youtube but sonny super excited yeah i was gonna say sonny super excited to have you on the podcast um Again, like Andrew had mentioned, we had you and your, your cousin Michael Ball on the podcast uh, probably about two months ago by the, the by this point, and we really kind of just barely grazed the surface of both of y'all's two hunting styles. So I had told y'all after the podcast was done, I'm like, we got to get y'all back on individually and give you your own, you know, light per se um, on the podcast and really dive deep on some of the tactics and strategies that you really like to do. And one thing you mentioned the first episode that we had you on, which Andrew, can you look up real quick what the episode number was? I can't believe we didn't think about that beforehand but on the first episode we had you on you talked quite a bit about slip hunting or still hunting uh you know kind of hunting without the use of a tree stand and with you being in your part of arkansas a lot more mountainous part of the state how you've had a tremendous success doing so so that being said can you give us maybe like a little bit of recap for maybe listeners that didn't listen to that episode which andrew episode 480 480 480 all right, guys. You know, you know, I was raised up down south, and and, and there wasn't really nowhere to slip down there. It was always thickety and uh, no visibility when you walk through the woods, and you always just startle all the animals. But where I hunt now, it's mountainous, and uh, you can actually use the mountains to your advantage, just like tree stands. So, you know, you just gotta uh, set a pattern up of where you want to go, and uh, the best advice I got. And, what I've learned to do is, you know, you need to set a day aside to do something like this. If you're going to slip hunt for the day and you're also scouting for a potential uh, deer hunting spot, you know, to put your climbing stand up or your ground blind or whatever you like to do. So you need to, you know, you need to take your backpack and use some food and maybe some cameras with you. And, uh, and, and, and you need to, you need to spend all day out there. Uh, and you need to maybe take you some optics with you and, uh, as you come over little ridges uh, or mountaintops, you need to move slow. And uh, matter of fact, you need to move slow all day and uh, periodically stop. Uh, you know, you move for two or three minutes, you need to stop for two or three minutes. And uh, and when you come to an area where you got a visual of a lot of uh, two or three hundred yards or hundred yards, you know, you need to sit down and just stay sit down, you know, spend 15, 20 minutes there. Because he's he's looking for you, so um, you just can't walk around. He's going to see you. Uh, he's looking for you more than you're looking for him. Uh, so that's where I've had a lot of my success. Uh, just, I, I move really slow, uh, and I have not done it, but maybe once in my life. But I, I've I've walked into areas that you can't see, and that it's really hard to do that one because. Uh, and in my eyes, that's where he's hiding at lots of times, unless he's traveling uh, in the rut, uh, because I, I've got proof that they travel all over the place. So instead of me thinking that the deer are just hiding from me all the time and being nocturnal, uh, I got evidence now that, you know, maybe they're just done went three miles away from me and they're not near me. So uh, as far as the still hunting, stay out there all day long. Do not get in a hurry. Okay, and when you stop, stop to where you can hide. Stop to where you can take a shot. Uh, just don't stop out in the wide open where you don't have a brace or uh, no cover for if something happens. You know, you got to be ready for the moment. And 
so you can capitalize on any opportunity you have to take the animal. Don't let him get away from you. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. So this is the episode, guys. If you're interested in in really in-depth understanding of, of slip hunting, and, and again, the kind of the art of the slipping through the woods in order to get shots, I think this is going to be a really good episode for y'all to you know refer back to and, and really pay attention to for this fall. Uh, Sonny, before we really dive a lot more into some of the details on, again, the skills that it takes in order to slip hunt, when you moved out to your part of Arkansas, because originally you kind of hunted more so in like southern Arkansas, and you mentioned that in the first episode, episode 480, we had you on, and just, you know, down there, the habitat wasn't uh, right for slip hunting. It was, you know, you talked about beforehand, extremely thick, a lot of pines, just really thick areas. And when you moved out to, you know, kind of more of the western part of the state, you got more in this more mountainous habitat. When you moved out there, did you have any kind of mentor or anybody out there that you kind of took some advice from as in how to hunt those mountains? Or was a lot of this kind of just learned by failures going out there and trying to figure out what worked best for you? Well, no, I had no mentor in order to, uh, when I figured out the different terrains that I moved to. You know, I took the basic skills that I learned from my father and my family of just, you know, finding deer or, um, but obviously when you move up there, you can see. And uh, down there, it's all flatland and there's, you know, you, you can never see anywhere from the ground. So by the time you uh, walked up on the deer, if he was even walking towards you or anything, you know, you you've already startled him. He's gone. And uh, so, no, I, I didn't have anybody teaching me. I learned it all on my own. And uh, I, I've learned another thing uh, when I'm still hunting. So uh, my first year up there, um, I, I seen a lot of buck deer. And I was uh, blessed with a year off of vacation. So I got to spend a lot of time up there. I was in, in between a job, and uh, so I didn't have to work. So after, you know, your first year of hunting out there, what, what I'm trying to ask and, and kind of curious with is the, the skill set that you've kind of learned with still hunting, how many years did it take for you to really start kind of getting that and really start being comfortable slip hunting where, again, a lot of guys like myself grew up hunting out trees, stands out box blinds, and their use of sitting still instead of kind of slipping through an area and putting yourself in the right position at different points of the day? Well, you know, it just progressed as every year went by. And uh, and I learned that, uh, you know, it has benefits of not sitting still, which in my opinion, sitting still is still the best way to, you know, take a, a larger animal because, you know, he doesn't know you're there and you're, you can't smell, you can't see, you. there's different things like that. Uh, but one thing that I learned from still hunting, uh, that when you startle an animal, okay, and you're out there during the peak of the rut or whatever, lots of times this animal's not alone, Okay. Uh, this big buck deer or this buck deer or whatever. And uh, he does, he does not always know what you are. All right. So uh, when I hunted down South, um, we couldn't use deer calls or grunt calls or things like that because we, we tried and it didn't work. So up there, you know, I may have had a, somebody at the gas station tell me, well, you need to be carrying a grunt call around your neck. So, I put it around my neck and, uh, man, it's like leaving your bullets at home. If I leave that thing, I got to go back and get it. So I've been out there many a times and, uh, I've called buck deer back to me. Now I, I haven't really, 
identified maybe of calling the same buck back to me because lots of times when they're running, you know, you can't identify him. And then 15 minutes later, you've done call another big buck back to you and sometimes two. Uh, so that's another piece of advice I got for you. If you're still hunting in an area and you startle a buck deer, you need to, you need to set up and hide. Okay. I, I know this sounds like uh, something's not true, but it, it's worked for me. Uh, probably 10% of the time I've scared deer. And I know that's not a big number, but why not try? So I've done everything but waved a white flag like a deer tail, uh, drop rocks out of trees to make it sound like acorns. But uh, I, I kick the ground, I throw leaves, I shake trees, I blow a sequence of about three deep grunts, and uh, then I'll be quiet. And then next thing you know, I got a buck deer coming back to me. And it, it liable to be 10 or 15 minutes, or it liable to be simultaneously. You know, he liable – so I don't know if it's the same deer. Um, it, it could be another deer that was there with him. It didn't see me because it, you know, it's hard to believe a deer seen a human and he, and he, and he ran off and then he came back to me. But so I really can't prove that one, but I can prove that if you, you try that, uh, I believe it works. So I, I think I'm calling the same deer back to me lots of times because he just didn't know what I was. Yeah. And that's also, that's also a good point. I feel like that, you know if you're in the deer a lot of times maybe there's there's more deer nearby and that commotion of a buck like running off or just a deer running off along with you making that call sequence you got to think about what that might sound like to the deer over the next ridge he's like man what's going on over there you know like sounds like someone's getting chased sounds like something interesting is going on it's like it's like last year okay it was really early in the morning i was walking down a log road and i seen a you know a really big deer go across the road i couldn't tell what it was but i knew it wasn't a, you know a doe so I sat down and got me a tree to shake and I got ready and I established a few of the calls and I was kicking leaves and shaking that tree. And I was acting really like you shouldn't act out. And was, I was making all kinds of racket. And, uh, but two minutes, it, it done crossed this trail. It come back out in the trail and turned and looked at me and it was all I could do not to shoot this deer. It was, it was really, really big. It was just, uh, didn't have no eye guards. It was a six point and it was big, big. So it just stood there. So I aimed and, uh, it didn't startle and run. It, it went back in the woods. So as I progressed down the log road, it was still there because I blowed it about three more times as I was walking and then I scared it. So I called that deer back out in the road. I know that was the same deer, but see, it didn't see me. It went across. And I called him back out. So it, them grunt calls work where I'm up there in the mountains. So. Well, I want to talk way more about the calling aspect, uh, just because I think this is really fascinating. But before we do, Sonny, I want you to talk to us and explain for the listeners, what is the habitat and the terrain like where you're at? Like the vegetation is a lot of hardwoods. Is it pines? Is it open woods? Is it thick? Is there a lot of rolling hills? Is it really steep? To give us and our listeners an idea of really what are you working with when it comes to slip hunting in your area of Arkansas? Okay. Well, you, you just about hit them all when you said that because I push myself into every one of those areas. I don't, I don't exclude anything because, uh, you know, even the really open areas, that's somewhere I can see. Uh, and I will sit on the edges of those areas sometimes. So I don't exclude anything. Uh, and yes, it is. Uh, I don't know the elevation that I hunt in, but some of it's really steep. And uh, so 
I like every bit of it. Uh, and I hunt on the edge of the thickets and I, I even go into the thicket sometimes and just climb up in the thicket and uh, I will look back out into the openings, but I want to be in there where he's living because, you know, I think that's where he hides at. You know, when, when deer turn nocturnal on your cameras or you're not having any luck uh, and the cameras tell you that the deer are there, uh, either they've done move so far away from you chasing does in a different area because there's no hot does in your area, uh, or they're just laying down hiding and moving at night. So uh, the, the, the terrain, there's oak trees everywhere where I hunt, okay? Like last year, there were so many acorns, acorns, however they like to pronounce it, that uh, it was astounding. There was nothing you could do to pattern a deer. You just, they were everywhere. Uh, every tree had acres. It didn't matter what brand it was. It had them. So, uh, and normally where I hunt's like that anyways, like down south, it was slim pickings on the oak trees or the acorn trees. And when you would find one, you would hunt it and then you had real, real good success with a deer coming to it. But where I hunt, that, that don't work. Uh, you just have to get out there and find some fresh buck sign and, uh, I, I like staying up on top of the mountains or at the very bottom of the mountains and utilizing the, the vantage points of those areas in that terrain. So, Now, one other thing I want I want to explain for the listeners as well. A lot about what we're talking about, uh, Sonny, is a little bit more kind of that pre-rut rut time frame. Um, you mentioned last episode that you really like to muzzleloader hunt. You know, come gun season out there, it gets a little crazy with dog hunters and everything else that happens. And typically, muzzleloader season in Arkansas is typically mid to late October. Or no, yeah, October. Um, so that's kind of the time frame we're talking about here. Do you ever have success slip hunting during archery season? I was just curious. Well, no. Uh, I have a raven crossbow, uh, and uh, I, I've tried to go out and do that a few times, uh, and uh, I haven't had the time here lately since I've, I've bought the bow. But, no, I, I've carried a, um, a compound bow around with me through the woods a lot, and, I, and I've never got lucky enough to – uh, usually they I scare them off too far away to shoot at them. So, uh, I'm, but I'm out there and I, and I hate to go out there, which I will not go out there. If there's a deer season open, I'm not going out in the woods without a weapon, even to use the restroom. I'm going to take my weapon with me to use the restroom. I, I'm not letting it out of my hand because I don't want the opportunity to get away from me if it presents itself. So, uh, but I do like the muzzleload season. Um, we're lucky because that is when, uh, the rut has started and sometimes is peaking. Uh, it might be a first round. I don't know, but that's when a lot of the buck signs on the ground where I hunt. And then I have no, I have nobody bothering me. There's no hunting pressure, like none. There's nobody around. I'm so lucky. I can't believe I've found spots like this. There's thousands and thousands of acres that, you know, there's nobody around. This is me and some of my cousins. And anyways, that's when I love to hunt. And see, what's well, something really funny, I was just going to preface this. I know Andrew's got a ton of questions, and I do want to get back to the calling, Andrew, so don't let me forget this. But when I hunted Arkansas last year during the muzzleloader season, I was on a completely different part of the state than you are, but it, there was none of that. There was none of that sign. None of the bucks weren't laying down scrapes. They weren't laying down rubs because I came back later in November, and it completely flipped. I mean, completely flipped. You know, rubs were everywhere, scrapes were everywhere, bucks were on does. 
But that muzzler season, and I hunted a good portion of the muzzler season, it was slow, just seeing a ton of does, no bucks on, no even really early rubs. It was just crazy. Uh, it made me really second-guess area until I came back in November, and it had completely changed and had an awesome hunt over there. Um, so that's super fascinating, again, that time of the year that you're really finding a lot of sign. Now, just because you mentioned this early in the podcast, I do want to go back to the calling, and we're going to dive in a lot more with this, the actual slip hunting tactic. But one thing I've heard, and I'm trying to think, I don't know if we've interviewed. Actually, we have interviewed a um, gentleman from uh, Tennessee who caught off the ground a whole bunch, had success. Damon Bungard. Yep. So Damon Bungard, this is back in 2019, probably Man, you put me on the spot there. Yeah. I was like, my mind was racing. Four, I was like, hey. about four years ago, three years ago, we interviewed a gentleman who loves hunting off the ground, like what you like what you're doing during muzzleloader season in Tennessee, in the mountains, and had a tremendous amount of success calling in bucks. Bobby on the ground and one thing he talked about is when you're on the ground you can make all this ground noise that a deer is going to make when he's in the area specifically like the rustling the leaves shaking the tree branches stuff like that and it's hard to replicate that when you're elevated in a tree stand or in a saddle or anything like that what do you see as the advantage of being on the ground and being able to call and make all that ground noise like what you had mentioned earlier on in this podcast well, obviously, if you're in a tree and you try to make those noises, I hate probably zero in on you. And no, that's just that's that's a that's a fake. That's not real. Uh, uh, the advantage is, like you said, you know, you can you can fake being a deer. OK, he, he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on unless he visually sees you. Uh, and if you was if some I, I need to defend myself. Uh, out in the woods when I do this, because I actually show out. I, I mean, I'm I'm probably doing too much and you wouldn't believe I throw sticks and leaves way up in the air and they're flying. And cause I've seen buck deer do it. You know, they get mad. Uh, I, I, I try not to get up where they can see me. I stay down here. So I, I, and I shake the tree vigorously. I just do all kinds of stuff. And he really, they, it makes them mad. Uh, and anyways, it's a really good tactic that, you can't utilize it everywhere, though, guys. Um, it, it don't work everywhere, but it works. It might work more than 10% of the time. But the only thing I've not practiced myself is just doing it without seeing a buck deer. It, it's a practice of mine or a deer. Now, if I start with deer while I'm still hunting or slip hunting, obviously I try to do it 100% of the time now, okay, unless I know it's a, a doe or a deer I don't want to take. Um but if it is a buck deer, I will try to go ahead and see if there's another deer there. I freeze. I don't let. I don't move anymore because uh, I've, I've walked up on two buck deer before, and only one of them see you, and the other one doesn't know what's going on. So I, I think that's where I'm calling some of those deer back. Like I mentioned before, it might not be the same one. So yeah, it's a big advantage of being on the ground. You're 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 where he's at. He thinks you're a deer until you mess it up. Uh, he doesn't know. Sonny, I want to talk about what some of these calling sequences actually are and, and, and what they sound like. But like when you're saying you're on the ground, I, I can relate to that. I mean, one time I was trying to rattle and I didn't think I was being loud enough and because everything was kind of wet and I was trying to kick up leaves like you were talking about. And I, I dude, I mean, I field goal kicked. I mean, I put my whole leg into kicking like an ant bed and it was built around a pine stump. And I broke my big toe, <laughs> <laughs> rattling in the woods. So yeah, like, did you get ants on you? 
No, no, I just hit the ground like a like someone shot me with a two seventy. <laughs> it hurt yeah, so bad, well, broke. Well, my I don't know if I I don't know if I threw a fit like that before, but uh, uh, I, I don't really have uh, nothing special, guys. Uh, I, I might do a grunt, grunt, snort, squeeze every once in a while. Uh, my cousin done that. We was in Illinois, Michael, and uh, he was up above me filming one day and we had uh, seen a buck deer go out there and lay down and uh, I never heard nobody make that noise for it. He made that noise. It almost upset me because I, I, I thought he was running the deer off because uh, <laughs> I didn't know what that was. And uh, he ended up getting that deer off the ground. And uh, then I, I had a rattle bag and I started rattling it when he'd tell me to. And uh, we were videoing Bob Robbins camera. He's a famous celebrity here in Arkansas. He's passed away now. He was a, a radio announcer and uh, put footage on his TV show. Uh, and we called the deer back up to us. And the last time I rattled, uh, I, I, it fell out of my hand and, and fell out and hit to the ground. Well, when it did that, the deer stopped. But he was way too close, and it was a really big 12-point. But it wasn't big enough for me. I was in Illinois. I was trying to kill a big one. So uh, it, it works. But my sequence of calls, I hit it three times on a deep grunt. Uh I don't I don't know how to do anything else, guys. And then I'll hit it three more times. And at the most I hit it nine times and I shut up. It's just nah, nah, nah. that's about all I do. I don't I don't do a bleak call much or none. Uh, I do have a bleak box, you know, sound like a baby crying to me. Uh I've never actually heard a doe do that. I've heard a doe like scream in the woods like a girl. I don't and I watched her do it. I don't know what she's doing. It was really spooky. Uh, and she was, and, uh, I know I'm on video, but, uh, <laughs> you, I'd have never thought a deer was doing that, but I've, I've only heard babies make that noise that that box is doing, but I tried to throw it in there once in a while, but I've never called a deer with the bleed box. So, and so when you're doing that grunt sequence, how, how long might you wait between those grunting sequences? Like, are you going to give it 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour? What's your do you have like a typical cadence or is it just kind of whatever the situation calls for? Well, if, if you, if you've not seen a deer and you're just grunting out of the tree stand or grunting off the ground, you haven't seen a deer yet. Like lots of times, uh, when I'm in a deer stand, I'll, I'll, I'll make that cough. I just see a deer and don't know what it is. I see some deer leagues walking by. Uh, I, I don't wait long at all if I don't get a response, but I'm really, really still. And I might even turn the grunt call and call backwards with it where it doesn't pinpoint me if the deer's done snuck up on me and I, I do not know it. Uh, but if I've scared a deer, uh, I, I give him heck. I'll, I'll call three times and I'll wait 60 seconds and I'll call three more times and I'll wait two minutes. And then after about the third sequence of it, if I haven't seen anything, then I'll go quiet. And, uh, and, and sometimes the deer still show up, uh, later on, you know, 15 minutes later, the deer comes back in there sneaking. He's either thought he's got downwind of me or something, and he, he, he'll he show back up. But lots of times, you know, they're not big enough to shoot, but I still call them back. Now, Sonny, another thing I want to ask you, in this call sequence, specifically grunting, how often are you incorporating that ground noise? Is it every sequence you're making some kind of ground noise, whether it's raking the leaves, it's shaking a you know a sapling or something, or do you just do it kind of you know every so often? You know, when I'm doing it, I'm so excited. Lots of times I don't even know what's happening because uh, I've already seen a buck deer or I've, I've seen a potential 
buck deer or what I think. Uh, it, it's it's every one of them. I've grunt three times. I shake the tree. I throw leaves. And then I, I might shake the tree and grunt three times and then throw leaves, throw a stick, whatever. Um, but I, I don't really rattle much. Uh, I haven't had a whole lot of success, success with that in Arkansas. Now, the other states like in Kansas and Illinois, yeah, you can hear deer fight up there. Uh, I, I very rarely ever heard a deer hear fight, maybe. But I, up there, they you can hear them tingling horns out there and – uh, the rattling works better when you go out of state, but Arkansas, I, I don't even carry my rattle bag anymore with me. It's, uh, I've not, I've not scored off of that. So I took it out the bag. It was too heavy. Now also, so, you know, you're incorporating the ground noise and everything with your calling sequence. You just mentioned that you don't have a lot of success rattling. That was another question I was going to ask you. Um, but one thing you've mentioned so far is when you're hunting off the ground and you kind of bump into one of these deer, like you see it's a buck or you suspect it's a buck, that's when you're calling. Do you ever call blind in an area where you don't actually see a deer, but you like there should be one close? Do you ever incorporate calling in that situation? Uh, no, only if I'm in an area where uh, I can see a long ways. Uh, like I said, that deer's looking for me. Uh, and, and if I give him an indication, uh, that I'm there, even though I'm, I'm trying to fake him out, he like will see me first. And it's just my train of thought, you know? And so, cause I'm moving, I'm only setting up for a little while and I'm moving. Uh, I'm not just ground hunting, I'm slipping. So, uh, I, I try not, I try not to ever make a sequence of calls unless I've already startled an animal because, he he he! I'll be coming towards me, and then I'm coming towards him, and then I'll lose the opportunity to tell what he is, or he can take an ethical shot, or whatever I need to do. So the answer is no. I'm I'm not making those calls now. If I come up on the top of a mountain really slow, guys, I'll able to get down and crawl. And, and you know, if I don't know what's coming above, and my cousin Michael, he always wears binoculars, and he'll make us lay down up there and just sit there for a while, and he glasses all over because he knows those deer are laying down in the treetop or they're laying down somewheres and he 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 spends a while looking for the deer and uh that's that's something i don't utilize too much i will when i come to the top of the mountain that's open i may go ahead and make a few calls because i plan on sitting there for 20 minutes or 30 and spending some of my day and maybe having my lunch or uh but normally I don't make the calls. I don't want them to know I'm there because I'm mobile and uh, I just don't want them seeing me. Yeah. So you're about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're pretty much only implementing the calls when you potentially bump into a buck and you're trying to, then you bring him back in. Or if you're coming to those, one of those areas that you can't see all that good, but you know, there's an opportunity you're going to sit there for a little while. That's when you'll implement it. But on the other side, if you're just kind of slipping your way through, you're not going to implement calling because you don't want to run into that deer. Yeah, I, I don't want the deer. If I, I've actually done my job and called him to me, then uh, he's going to be coming maybe at a rapid rapid pace of speed that he wasn't before, or he's got up out of a bed and uh, I, I, he'll run right into me or something, and it'll ruin my chances of getting him because he he knows where I'm at and he's got keener senses than I do, uh, and I, I don't have them. I got you know glasses on and I can see pretty good. And he'll figure me out too quick. That, that's my train of thought. So. Now, Sonny, we've, we've got to talk about 
how you go about actually slipping through the woods and slip hunting, okay? This is something okay. I've always been fascinated with. I've, I've had limited success. I've actually shot a doe on the ground doing this uh, with my bow, um, but I've never shot – I don't think I've – I don't think I've ever shot a buck on the ground doing what you're talking about, but I've been wanting to. And hunting areas, kind of like what you're talking about, we've got some areas here in Alabama that would work out really well. I've thought about doing it in some other states as well, specifically Tennessee. But what? explain for us to the listeners, if nobody has, if say there's listeners or myself who haven't experienced slip hunting, especially someone that's experienced like yourself, how would you, would you go about explaining how you're actually moving through the woods and working your way back into certain spots that you're wanting to again, check into? Okay. Well, uh, first off, you know, I'm a firm believer in good camouflage. All right. Uh, and I'm a firm believer in new camouflage. Actually, I, I buy new camouflage every year. And I turn my old camouflage into work clothes. I try to, if I can afford it. Okay. Uh, when I'm moving through the woods, uh, probably uh, 90% of the time, 85% of the time, I see the deer when I'm standing still. So therefore, maybe you stand still more and you don't cover as much area. Okay. If you blow through these woods, you're not going to see any deer. You're not going to kill any deer. So don't get excited and think you got to make it a mile and a half and then turn around and move over and make it a mile and a half back to the truck, okay? There's potential deer in a half a mile. And if you're out there just walking too fast and not taking your time, sitting down, uh, staying hid, uh, you know, and you, and you try to be quiet, even though they say you walking through the woods is, could be the sound of a deer. I don't care. I don't want him know. I don't want him to know I'm there. I want to be really quiet. So, you know, you navigate around things. Uh, you make your movements slow, uh, and it don't break sticks and don't shake limbs until you are established and you want to try to call that deer. Uh, just, just don't hang on stuff. Don't get tired. You know, you only got so many days to hunt. Don't watch them goof off. Go out there and go really slow and try to find a deer before it finds you. It's, it's really fulfilling if you can find a deer before it finds you. And then, you know, if then you get to sneak up on it uh, if you'd like to. It, you know, the buck deer, you don't really sneak up on them much. They're usually just pop out and they're chasing something. They're, they're on their way somewhere. And every once in a while, you'll find one laying down, and uh, that's a treat. Sonny, when you're slipping through the woods, to, are you trying to stay hidden behind anything like – like, are you looking at a tree and you're saying like, hey, I'm going to walk to that tree, stand there for a minute, then walk to this tree and kind of take cover with a tree? Or are you trying to stay low behind cover? Or are you just kind of walking out through the open and then just stopping and standing there for a little while? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, I, I am pinpointing different trees to head towards because whenever I do stop, I have to have a shooting point or a hiding point. And if it's a big area, uh a big open area, you know, I, I don't, I, unless that's the direction I'm going, try not to go through the open. Okay. I'll get over on the edge of the thicket and put me a, a, a backdrop to me, something besides daylight. Uh, or, or, or I might, I might slip in to sit in that thicket because you're sitting out in the wide open and you picking your nose or something. You're not paying attention. You're not hunting hard enough. He's going to see you. So hide yourself every time you're going to establish a, uh, 10 or 15 minutes or more. Now, if you're just going to uh, stop for two minutes or three minutes, and, and that's that's usually what I do. 
I'll walk for two minutes and then I'll stand for two or three minutes. And that's kind of a process that I do when I slip hunt. And, uh, you know, most of the time I scare the deer. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I hardly ever catch that deer before that deer catches me unless I have a vantage point that's, you know, a couple hundred yards. It's just, that's what they do. They look for predators. They're looking for us. So, yeah, I, I guess that's why I, I've moved into trying to call those deer back. And when I had success with it, it kind of tickled me. I didn't think you could really do something like that. Uh, but it, it really does work. Um, I, I'm, I'm proof that it's worked. Uh, I've actually killed a deer doing that. I haven't killed a bunch of them calling them back. I've missed a few. Bad shot a tree. Uh, but... <laughs> I've called a really nice eight point back to me. I, I missed a big 12 point once and uh, I scared a really big buck deer walking down the road and uh, I throw the fit and they started hooking trees and hooking trees and hooking trees. But I'm not sure it was the same deer because I thought I heard the deer run up the mountain and knock rocks down. And uh, when I finally got the deer, it was so exciting. The deer was hooking everything out there from me, throwing leaves, shaking trees and making that little sequence. Uh, when I shot, I, I shot a tree, um, and I didn't take the animal, but I killed eight points same day. I was on the same road, walked another couple hundred yards down it, buck sign, buck sign, buck sign, buck sign, buck sign. Uh, it was all fresh. So I decided to sit down, uh, sit down and made the call again. Uh, then a doe come down the trail behind me with a six point. Uh, don't think the call done anything to it and it left. Then I made the call again and then the big eight come down and I was, it might've just been following the same path of the, the doe that was probably an estrus. And, but I thought I called it. So I counted that one. Now, what is it that leads you to an area that makes you think that it's worth going and slip hunting through? Uh, what what are you looking for maybe on a map or as you're driving down the road and, and you see something that catches your eye and you're like, you know what, I think if I go slip through here, I'm going to find deer. Okay, well, you know, uh, most of the places in the National Forest, you know, you're not allowed to ride your four-wheelers or nothing like that. And uh, so here's a, here's a, a good tip. I, I look at maps or Onyx and I try to find big parcels of land that do not have roads leading to them okay if i do not have that then you know there's roads cutting off there's little pullovers to pull over on and go all the way to the end of the road and park okay quit doing that that's what everybody does don't pull over in the pullover spot that's what everybody does there's your hunting pressure or year after year somebody's pulled over there okay i ride down the road and roll your window down Look for a hook tree, just a hook tree or a scraping, whatever, uh, a rub. That's what I, I get them mixed up. I call them hook trees. I never call them the other. And then pull over in the ditch, even if it's on the highway. If you're on a highway and your national forest is right there, you never know where that buck deer is hiding. If he's not getting bumped out or pushed and people are right straight up a straight hill and nobody's ever pulling over there, you know, if it's legal to pull over in the ditch, you pull over there and go out to that shiny tree you see and research that area right there because there's probably nobody hunting there in that vicinity. But you just can't go to the wore out spots. Every road that's got a place to park and uh, turnarounds and things like that. So I, tr I try to stay away from people. Uh, 
therefore maybe I'll kill a more mature buck or I, I'm hunting a deer that's not as uh, talented. He ain't seen as many humans yet. Now, are you looking for anything habitat-wise that tells you that deer are going to be in the area? So it sounds like first and foremost, you're trying to get away from pressure, but are you looking for the presence of thickets, the presence of like oak trees or anything like that? Well, like, like I said before, uh, there's so many oak trees, I have to just about count them out. Um, uh, actually, uh, that's where you'd want to hunt because that's, that's their, that's their food. You know, they got to have food, a girlfriend and water. I heard that somebody else say that one time, but, uh, I killed a, like 165 something inch 14 point two years ago. I hadn't had much success guys in the last couple of years. I've had some really dry runs on the muzzleloading hunt and I hope it turns around for me. I've only, I've let a one nine point go in the last couple of years. That was, actually a nice shooter and I was hunting with my daughter uh but I killed him in a pine field no nothing but the little purple berries that they bite the buds off the end that the raccoons eat and you see it in their feces there ain't an oak tree nowhere and it's probably a few hundred acres pine field and they're mature pines you could climb any of them with a stand and uh the next year which was year four last I had more buck deer on my cameras over there than, oh, there were huge ones all the time. Most of them nocturnal or when season wasn't open. Uh, but I still haven't had a success there. Me and my cousin Michael tried to video there and we'll see a doe or something small uh, killed a monster buck deer in a pine field. Just because the buck sign was there, I would have never hunted that. And I could see really good. And I seen him coming a long ways off, and I I was able to get prepared. And when he walked out in the log road to check one of those scrapes, uh, that's the deer I actually I took, and uh, it was standing in front of somebody else's game camera. Uh, but I I never have met up with that individual to see if it actually took the picture. But there's a game camera 15 yards from where I shot the animal, so I wasn't hunting there by myself. It was too much buck sign. Now, another question I'm, I'm really curious about is after you've slip hunted through an area, do you ever return to an area if it, if it was good or you saw the right kind of sign or are you always just kind of nomadic and, and going to the next thing? I don't know. Obviously, if, if I see the what I call the hot spot buck, buck sign in the area, I'm not leaving it to look at a deer most of the time because I know or I eventually see what's there, you know, uh, if you if you find those ponds that's, that's you find ten of them that's right there in one area and they're all fresh and they got deer tracks in them and they got uh, tinkle in them and deer poop and stuff like that and uh, you you don't want to leave that area there is way too many uh, wild women there and uh, the, the 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 guys the guys are hanging out I promise you so don't leave that area. And, and and don't stink it up. Don't walk all over the place anymore. Like I probably told you all before, if you ever find it, hunt there in the dark. Don't leave. Make sure you should have had that lunch, should have had something to pee in in your thing. And it, it was right in the middle of the day when you want to go back and you found it. If you have to go back, go back. But sneak out the way you come in. Go get you something to eat and come right back in there. Maybe establish something while you were there, like a tree, and try to scoot up, you know, so you can get a vantage point. If not, hunt on the ground, whichever, whichever is better. If you don't make any noise, you're great. 
Okay. Yeah, that that was where I was wanting to go next. So you're saying if you if you hunt your way into a spot and you find that really hot sign, specifically scrapes, which I really want to talk about, you're gonna you're gonna stop and you're gonna hunt that until dark and you're gonna hang out on that sign. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's just what I'm fixing to do. I am not leaving that unless I had a prior engagement. If I because I've already walked in there, okay, and if I haven't busted him out or I haven't disturbed him. I've accomplished getting in there, okay? And if I have, then then I have. But if I go back out and back in, you know, he was just a block over checking some more because he's he's all over the place. I've just found a few of them. Uh, they're 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 in other places. So I'm going to hunt it and until dark, and then I might give it a day, and then I'm going to establish something to climb, and I'm going to sneak back in there again, and I'm gonna, I'm going to hunt him again in the next day. And if I'm too excited, I might go back the next morning. Okay. That was going to be my next question. What, Like, when you come back in, like, will you just keep hammering that spot until either you kill nope. him or that sign dries up? No, no not unless – I'm not going to hammer that spot to death uh, due to the fact, you know, you'll get lucky and kill a big buck deer when there ain't no buck sign because my cameras show them moving all over the place, uh, coming by uh, – like pawns be there every single year okay and uh i've had big buck deer just walk by there and not even look at those pawns so they travel too much during the rut so i know if i walk in there i know that deer's gonna smell me you can you can try to hide you can try to hide from him uh he's gonna smell you no matter what you put on okay you don't smell right you can put on whatever he's gonna smell something in your clothes uh, unless you know high dollar scent lock stuff you know that's great um but you know he he's still gonna stay out of there some just don't wear it out the more you do it uh and and i and i don't know how smart they are i mean he might see me and he might come back the next day because you know they can't think right when it's uh breeding season so i don't know everything about it i just try Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? 
Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the true lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. So, all right, Sonny, this is my bread and butter. This is what I love. I love talking about sign and especially scrapes or pawns as you call them. Now, what does it look like when you walk into that spot where it's undeniable and you're like, yep, I'm going to, I'm sitting, it's like 11 a.m. and you're like, I'm sitting here until dark, even if I'm hungry, like whatever. Well, what does that sign have to look like for that to trip the trigger in your brain? Okay. Well, uh, it'll look like there's 10 buck deer there, 10 different buck deer. It'll be so many pollens. They'll all be fresh. You'll think you scared them all off. You'll think they're in a pen. Uh, uh, you, if you ever find that, you'll know it. Uh, and sometimes it'll be down the log road or they'll be off the log road, but you, you'll find so many numerous places that they've called the ground. There'll be wet urine in them. They'll be, you can, I got a big nose. Okay. See, uh, well, I can, I can actually smell it sometimes. I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I, I can smell the, the, the torsal glands on them or where they, you know, peed in the pollen or whatever. And, uh, you'll know it when you find that many. You don't. It don't happen very often. No, about every three years you'll find that spot. Um, and you, but you got to run. You got to run your cameras too. I know you want to talk about that because uh, uh, I, I got I got I got a pretty good camera story on a on a pretty good buck deer later when we talk about that. But. You see what I'm saying? When you find that much buck sign, it's all, it's every bit of it's fresh. You can't believe there's not one staring at you right now. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, we're fighting over questions now. I Now, I, I'm really curious. Do you draw any kind of distinction between scrapes? So, like, you talked about logging roads a couple times, like, And a lot of times, especially, I'm sure it's the same where you're at, like here in Alabama, you'll be walking down a logging road in some pines or something, and it'll be like scrape, 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 going all the way down it. And they're all like this big, about the size of a basketball. But then then in other places, you'll find a scrape that's like the size of this table we're sitting in front of. And it's got five licking branches, and it's deep into the ground. Do you you put any any credence on that scrape over the other kind, or... Or what do you think about you know just different kinds of scrapes? What the bigger what the bigger scrape is, guys? Okay, it's it's more frequently visited by different bucks. This is my camera showing me stuff like that. This is not me guessing. Okay, and if it's deeper in the ground, it's been there for a few years. Because uh, normally when you watch a buck deer make a scrape, and I get to do it a bunch because I don't take the buck deer that I watch. Uh, I get to watch them rear up to the limbs. You know when they're broke off. And hanging down, you know, lots of times they bite that. That is not their horns doing that. They'll reach up and grab that with their mouth and break that limb off and drag it down to the ground. 
Okay, it's on my video cameras. I always thought they got it hung in their horns and thrashed it, which they do. And that's how the limb got broke. But nope, they'll bite that limb and it's broke off because they bit it. Uh, so the big pollens, oh yeah, it's exciting because there's more buck deer been there. Because usually the buck deer don't stay there very long, okay? Uh, very seldom will you see him get bad aggressive and just tear the ground up and uh, eat all the bark off the trees. And uh, uh, usually he just pops it a couple times, smells the limb, see if the doe's been there, and the doe, doe leaf's sent up there too, or he'll smell the pollen. He moves on, and he's he's putting a track out. So when you see a bunch of them down the log road, that ain't the only ones there. If they're all fresh, they're off to the side too because he he's just not staying on that log road, and he's not by himself is the deal. There's a bunch of buck there. Because there is, there's does there that's, they're in estrus. And I, I, that, that's my belief. That's the reason the pollens are so hot. They're trying to find them. All right. So, Sonny, with you kind of explain this, Andrew, we experienced this last year on our SOA hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yep, yep. there, Sonny, we had a hunt last year that was the best hunt I've ever had in Alabama, bar none. I think we saw, was it 11 bucks we saw? Yeah. And like, literally mm-hmm. like two days mm-hmm. or something yep. like that. In this one location, like this one spot. Come to find out, we were kind of hunting high up on like a, a secondary ridge point, kind of watching this drainage system, and we didn't realize this until we shot we shot two mature bucks in the same spot within an hour and a half of each other. I actually used Andrew's gun to shoot the second buck after I shot after we shot he shot his first one, um, and when we went down to recover the deer, it was like what you're saying. There were scrapes literally everywhere. If there was a licking branch, and you there, could smell them, there was a scrape, and you could smell it. It was like a huge congregation of scrapes in this one area, but also we had witnessed the morning we shot the two bucks, a hot doe coming in there with five bucks on her butt and watching one of the three-and-a-half-year-old bucks, which wasn't the biggest deer in the group, Mm -mm. actually breed her on camera next to one of these scrapes, and they get chased off by two other bucks. And this was all in this one little area. And the funny thing is we had hunted around this for a day and a half beforehand did not see any of that sign and we happened to kind of ease our way into the spot kind of like what you're talking about we actually kind of were slip hunting our way in we did and we saw a doe saw two does yeah saw two does and stopped and shot up a tree shot up a tree and then that afternoon we won't talk about because we mentioned a hundred times on the podcast but i met i missed a big one that <laughs> afternoon a big one. you missed it you shot missed oh i shot a couple times and missed <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sonny, and it's all on camera. Listeners will see this footage at some point this year. Oh, man. Um, Unless but, I just okay. accidentally delete yeah. it. But but where I'm yeah. trying to get at, Sonny, is this is the one time we've experienced kind of what you're talking about. And it seems like from how you're talking about this, is this isn't something you necessarily find every single year. But when you find no. that spot, you better hold on tight and, and put some time into that location. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to find that every single year. You might find it, you know, consecutive years, you know, just because you're getting lucky. Uh, that's the reason. That's another reason I slip hunt. Okay. I'm actually looking for that spot. I, I am never going to go out and just climb the same tree every year or get in a box stand every year. It's never going to happen. For one reason, I, I, I'm not allowed to do that in the National Forest. I mean, I'm allowed to go climb the same tree, but, you know, I, I'm not going to be in a deer camp anymore, even though I just joined one. I've been waiting six years. It's by my house. Uh, but, yeah, if you ever if you ever find that spot, and if you're not finding it, you know, quit hunting over those cold scrapes. And if you have more acreage to visit, visit it slip hunting. But you got to go slow. And if you ever kill a doe, 
I mean, if you ever kill a buck that's chasing a doe, breeding a doe, or trying to breed a doe or whatever, and you know that doe's hot, or you, you got chasing. I've had up to four doe, four bucks chasing one doe at one time. This poor, I felt sorry for her. You know, I've seen that numerous times, more than one buck chasing them. And they just chase them to death where they can't breathe. Uh, that's when you wear a spot out, okay? If you find that doe that's hot, you, you, you come back an hour and a half before daylight and get there, you stay, you can't see at night, and the next day you come back, and the next day you come back until you quit seeing deer. Don't ever wear that spot out because they don't care if they smell you or not when that's happening. So that that's my advice when you know, wear a spot out. Uh, it don't matter if there's a buck sign there or not. If she's there, they're, they're going to find her. And that's just what they do. That's their nature. That's It's breeding season. So Hot dough is the best best thing you can do right there. Sonny, another thing that's kind of interesting, because uh, you're mentioning you've typically seen some really good rutting activity in October, um, you know, during this muzzleloader hunt, which, you know, from other guys I've talked to in Arkansas, some see a little bit of rutting activity and a lot don't, depending on the part of the state that they're in, because uh, the rut is kind of different in different areas of the state. But do you ever think that some of the rutting activity you're seeing isn't necessarily all the does coming to heat, but there's just that one or two doe that comes in heat maybe a little bit earlier than all the rest. And when you walk, when you walk in and find that doe, that's when you're finding all these additional bucks in this one little area, instead of having mature bucks running everywhere on that mountain. Well, you know, obviously I, I don't, I don't really know. And I, I know all the does don't come into uh estrus at the same time. Uh, the game of fish has it figured out pretty well. And, and it is due to the area that you're hunting in, you know, a lot of the Southern uh, counties of our state, they, you might as well wait till rifle season back then when November's coming around because it's not happening. You're just down there hunting, you know, uh, free, yep. you know, but up where I hunt, it's just getting started. And I think that's what's happened to me the last couple of years. It hadn't started yet. I've missed it. Uh, it, it probably happened the next week or the next week. So they can't get it perfectly right every year. Might have something to do with the moon phase. Now, <laughs> real, real quick, Sonny. Now, one thing that's different, not, not to get too specific on Arkansas, but I noticed this year, look at the new regs, they moved the, the muzzler hunt back. Uh, I, I believe it's pushed back like three or four days, so it's going to go three or four days longer than it has the last few years. And I wonder if that's going to help a little bit more when it comes to catching some of that more rut activity because i've wondered with you because that muzzler season is only a, a 10 to 14 days something like that in length uh it's not very long do you normally see that rutting activity later in the muzzler season or do you sometimes see it early on in that muzzler season well there again they ain't got they ain't got the date set perfect but they're trying to uh actually uh i don't know where you was specifying were but this year they're opening it on my birthday which is october the 21st okay and that's later it's, it's been opening around the 15th or 16th or somewhere so it's almost a week off yes five or six days off somewhere around there so i'm actually a little excited about it because i think i've been missing it because i ain't been seeing all the fresh buck sign and i think i've been going too early but i don't have a choice i got nine days this year uh, it's usually a nine day season and then and, uh, it shuts down for a few weeks, and then they they open up the rifle season, and it it you know it lasts uh, about a month and a half where I'm at five weeks maybe, yeah. In some areas it only lasts three, so 
uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty geared up because I hadn't killed one in a couple of years, and uh, I, I'm gonna be probably alone this year. I'm I'm not gonna have anybody with me. I'm gonna be able to do what I want to do. I take a bunch of kids hunting and 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 different people, and it takes some of my time out. But you know, they done it for me, like my dad, and uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill one this year. Y'all wanna bet? Oh, listen! Put, y'all put a dollar on it. Dude, I, I'll put on. I'm gonna okay, kill a. I'm gonna kill a 135 class deer in Arkansas or 140 this year. I just got a feeling. I'm gonna push so. my. I'm pushing all my chips in. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting on you. I'm betting on you, Sonny. No, I think so too because that's why I noticed. That's why I saw it. it. Was I knew it was like October 20th or 21st they removed the season and typically, like you said, it's been like the 15th roughly the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'm like, I was wondering if it's gonna be that much better for you because of that. Um, and also got me thinking. Like I've got, I see, I've got a, I've got a, my, my sibling, my sister. Her wedding is October 28th, and I was telling her, why did you pick that <laughs> week? What are you doing? <laughs> so I would be in Arkansas potentially at that time, but because of uh, me being in the wedding, I, I can't unfortunately. Yeah. Man, I can't if skip out love, on that one. If you love me, you'll get married during deer season. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because then you get an anniversary that same week, uh, same day every year. I don't love you that much. Uh, actually, okay, not to get too sidetracked here. Uh, Sonny, you had mentioned uh, you, you're earlier you're at your uh, fiance's house. When, when's y'all's wedding date? Are y'all getting married during deer season? No. no <laughs> they don't get married during deer season. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'll put my foot down. They don't get married during deer season. So, no. <laughs> I, I ain't getting married yet, but I, I am still getting married. I got, I got a wonderful fiance. She's, she's top notch. So, she lets me do what I want to do. So, she's very outgoing. Awesome. One thing I'm, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention when we were talking about slip hunting, because I do want to kind of get talk to some about cameras and stuff, but with slip hunting, you had mentioned quite a few times in this podcast about seeing these bucks crossing logging roads. How often are you using logging roads to get further back and using that as slip hunting versus kind of just working your way through some timber that's maybe not on a logging road? Well, you know, that's what you do if, if you're trying to get away from humans. So you'll start out on a logging road because it's a uh, path of least resistance and uh lots of times you score on it even you just got right off the highway but yeah i use the logging roads to get somewhere away from the the traffic or whatever and then i branch out into the woods and i still love any kind of a logging road or uh whatever the humans have put there in the past to travel on or uh it's just what deer travel down y'all mentioned y'all's word was a corridor I just call it a deer trail or uh, they, they're going to, they're going to go down it and that's where they're going to lay the majority of their buck sign is on that logging road or the top of a hill. Okay. Or the bottom of the hill, but not right in the center. They'd like go left and right of that center for some reason, especially if there's a Creek in it or whatever, they stay left and right of it. You'll find it. But uh, the logging road is just where they prefer to do it. Why that is, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's path of least resistance, and or they can see better and they're looking. But uh, that, I, I guess that's what what's happening. Sonny, also when you're slip hunting, I've got so many questions on slip hunting because the reason why is we don't interview a lot of guys like yourself that do it successfully. Um, so that's why yeah. I just have so many questions to ask you. Um, 
when you're slip hunting, especially in this more mountainous terrain, do you like keeping the high ground most times, or will you drop off down in like a drainage or something, or will you go through a valley? How do you like to kind of work your way through like to maybe a certain destination you're trying to get to? Do you like to stay high? Will you go down low sometimes? What's your thought process on that? Well, let me explain to you what I see when I'm out there, okay? If uh, I'm on the top of the ridge, usually they're too broad on the top. And so I have a very limited uh, viewpoint uh, of seeing deer. Okay. So, uh, but when I'm, when I go over to the edge of the top, I can't see both sides. That's where the climbing stand comes into play, but I don't go down the top because I can't see. It depends on whether, what it looks like. And then as you work your way down to the bottom, you can see the other mountainside over there. So you score twice. So, uh, Usually there's too many trees in the way to be at the top to see the other one, your, your foliage. Okay. So uh, the bottom is better when you're slip hunting because it, it opens up more vantage points for you because uh, you're looking underneath the stuff and looking up. Uh, that, that's, that would be my advice is to stay down lower where you can see both sides of the hills. Um, if they're there, you know, uh, and even if you're at the top of the hill and you can't see both sides of the hill and it just keeps going down, keep going down, down, go halfway down and, and run down it. But you want to be able to see the top now because they like the top. So keep the top in your eyeballs and they like the bottom. So does that, does that make any sense? Yeah. And that's- the bottom's better if you if it, it's a, got another mountain coming. Go down in the bottom, you can see both mountains. It, it, it gives you more acreage to watch. Now, also, I got so many questions. Listen, that's so, not something we hear very often. Yeah, we don't hear that very often at all. Stay so, low. Yeah, stay low. Now, how are you? Well, well, it, it's as you're in the mountains, you can see. Okay, if you if you're on top of that mountain, you can't see the top of that next mountain because the leaves are in your way. Get down below the leaves and look up at them and find that vantage point. And now you're looking up at both sets of hills. And I can see five times as far or three times as far as I could before. So it increases my odds of seeing a doe or anything. Then I can be still and get ready because now, now I'm, I'm ahead of them. So, yeah. Do you often see bucks running does downhill as well? Like kind of pushing them down into the bottoms? Yeah. When they're chasing them, it doesn't matter. They'll jump. They'll run off a cliff. They don't make a difference. They'll come up a rock hill. You'd have never thought a deer would have come up that hill and it'll come up that rock hill. Uh, so no, they don't care where they're at. They'll run them through the water. They'll. It, it doesn't make a difference. Any terrain, they're gonna take it. Now, how are you taking wind direction into consideration when you're working, especially down low? Because we hear a lot of guys talking about hunting up high because it's a little more consistent wind. What is your thought process on wind direction? The wind maybe swirling in some of those areas. What What is your take on that? Well, there's nothing you can do about your swirling wind. Okay. And I try not to worry about my wind when I'm in a stand because I don't know which way the deer's coming from anyways. Okay. So I, I don't hunt edges of fields and planted food plots and things. I'm in a, in come, you know, this woods around me. So, but when I'm still hunting, I do take that in consideration I, I, any way I can. That's where I drop myself off in the morning. If I know the wind is, is blowing against me, I'm going to walk that way to start with. I'm going to set myself up. Now, halfway through the day, I got to come back to the truck or come back to somewhere. And hopefully the wind might have changed to help me out. But there's nothing I can do. But I sure don't want to start the first half of my day 
walking with the wind and letting the deer smell me. Cause I, I, I do believe their nose is, you know, their, their best feature. Uh, I guess everybody believes in that one. I mean, they can hear good, but they can't hear me talking to them when I'm whispering right there at them. So, but they'll smell you in a heartbeat uh, and seeing they're going to see, but they can't see as well as we can. So set yourself up when you're slipping. Okay. Put the wind in your face best you can. Look at your weather the day before, before you, Pull your thing up and check it. And yeah, I, I do do the wind when I walk. I, I do. Now, do you also, do you stress out if you're, say, down low and the wind starts hitting you in the back of the head? Do you worry about that, especially if you're thinking the deer is up higher where they maybe can't smell you? Or do you, do, I mean, nope. do you just keep on going? I don't have time to recuperate on wind change. I've already set some kind of a plan together. Other than if I want to change and not go as deep in the woods and go horizontal. But most wind changes are, you know, they're temporary. They don't last long unless some kind of a storm's coming or whatever. And then uh, I will change if I if I can tell it's going to stay the same. Uh, but usually I just bite the bullet and then uh, I go on with my pattern uh, and, and I just look harder. Yep. It's like when I get in a deer stand and I know which way the wind's blowing, okay, I, I turn my climbing stand the way where the wind's blowing that way blowing across my back so i stare it that way more because the wind blowing that way and the deer's going to pick me up quicker because he can smell me so behind me the deer can sneak up on me and i'm gonna catch it because it's not gonna smell me uh, so that's how i work the wind in a deer stand i just watch the way the wind's blowing unless it's just i can't see very far so try that one too because if he can't smell you and you're up in a tree he'll sneak right up to you and you hear a twig break you have the time to come around on him. Just don't let him smell you. He's you might never even see him if he smells you. You'll just think you had a bad day. So. Also, Sonny, when you're slip hunting, if you think back to all the bucks that you've killed, specifically in Arkansas slip hunting, if you had to break them out, how many of them were, did you kill, say, early morning versus like mid to late morning, almost like early afternoon, and then late in the evening? Um, well, to be honest with you, I kill. I, I probably only killed about uh, six or seven walking because I've only been up in the mountains uh, and I'm picky about what I shoot. Uh, so uh, usually I kill them towards the middle of the day um, is when I kill them. It's kind of like uh, I don't really have hunting pressure, but it's kind of like fishing. Everybody fishes till noon. They go in and the fish start biting. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of, look in the middle of the day when I'm out there and obviously deer move in the morning time uh, due to the fact they're nocturnal. Okay. So he, he, he messes up sometimes and he ain't got back home. Uh, so if you're out there really early and he's trying to get back home or get back to where his bedding area is and you'll catch him during shooting hours, uh, that's, that's a good, don't ever not go out there early. Right there before daylight, as much as you can do. Uh, like like I said before at last episode, seat time. Okay, spend some time in the woods. Go out way before daylight if you're not scared and you know it's not unsafe. And then when it gets dark, because I don't normally see deer right at dark a lot. It's kind of like a dead zone for me. Uh, but stay a little longer and see what happens. But usually then it gets to where it's illegal to shoot. But at least you get to see something and. Uh, 
Yeah, that's interesting, especially kind of like that later morning, almost early afternoon time period that you've had a lot of success. It, you know, it, you hear that from so many guys that kill mature bucks, especially down here in the southeast, that midday period, late morning to early afternoon being the time of the day they kill a lot of their bucks during the rut. And for whatever reason, it seems like those bucks are getting back on their feet. They're they're covering some ground. It gives you an opportunity in order to be able, you know, whether you're in a stand and you're sitting in the right spot that he should be coming through, or if you're slip hunting and working your way into that spot that should line up for you, it kind of plays out really well. Sonny, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, or me and Andrew want to talk to you about, is the trail camera use. We mentioned this in episode 40, the last episode you were on with your cousin, uh, Michael Ball, and how trail cameras were you know, a factor for you because you can use them in your area of the state on your public land and kind of finding patterns and just areas that mature bucks are really using. Let's kind of dive back into the topic of your thought process on using trail cameras in the mountains from the process of what data are you trying to get from that trail camera to use, and are you using it for this season, or is it something that you're going to use for next season based off what you got from the season previously? Okay, so potentially I tried to start in late August and, uh, you know, put my cameras out uh, because I don't like to be around my cameras. I'm not one that goes and checks my camera, so... Uh, so a lot of it may be scouting for the next year. Okay. And, uh, I, I potentially run 15 to 20 cameras and they're all the, you know, the, the, the cheaper brands, uh, they're not just bad cheap and none of them are singular because there's no cell phone service in the national forest. So I can't have them respond back to me. Uh, but I'll put them everywhere and I'll have scouting trips, and I'll go out and pre-scout, and my backpack's always full of them. And I got SD cards running out of my, you know. So uh, I'll, I'll give you an ex- I, I give you an example. I can tell where the big bucks are and where the big bucks are not. Okay. Yes, a yes, a big buck is going to travel. Here it goes. All right. So October, I missed him by one day. He come by the next day. Uh, he's about a 150-something class, 11-point, and he's not very wide. And he's got kickers on both sides like this, and then one side's got another kicker. Uh, he's got eye guards uh, 13 inches long, and his horns just go up. Okay, he's 14 and a half inches wide. He, he looks kind of funny. He's not wide at all, but he's, he's uh, and I don't know, he's 20-something, 22 inches tall, 23. He's just way up there. And his eye guards go with it, and them kickers identifies him. So I had him on camera <clears throat> uh, two times in October, both times in the daytime. One time was the very next day from me being there, sitting on the ground by a log. I was not slip hunting. I slipped hunting into that spot, and there was a little bud of bucks on there, and I could see. So I stayed there to the dark. Wasn't the hot spot, though. I was kind of just tired. Uh, camera flooded. Thought it did. Put it out by boat because it's remote. People don't hunt this place, I thought. So I put the camera out in August. It took a picture August 29th, and it got tired on March 14th, uh, and it quit taking pictures for me. And I just disregarded it because the river there flooded, and I thought it got it. Mm, I think February the 3rd is three-something miles away. He's on that camera, the same deer. But it was in the dark. So I'm pretty sure he made it because they don't really hunt that hard up there anyways. You know, bow season was still open. Uh, and, and and I've had deer on multiple cameras that was miles and miles away. 
that was my biggest one to date. I never had a deer three miles away from another camera. Okay. And this might not be how the crow flies, but me just guessing up and down the hills to where the other place was, uh, I, I'm not going to hunt where there's not big buck deer. Now, this spot here, it had a huge 140-something class 8 point. Uh, 90% of all the buck deer were at night from August till March to 14th. So I don't think I want to hunt there. I don't – not right there. I thought I might. But my camera is only in one spot. There was only one camera, but I, I don't really think I want to hunt there. So uh, I probably call that spot. Uh, Sonny, what are you putting your cameras on? Like, if you're going out on a scouting day in August and you got a backpack full of cameras, what are you looking to sling those cameras on to to watch for the whole season? Well, uh, so. You know, navigating on your deer corridors or your deer trails, that's a, obviously a really good spot. Previous patterns of uh, uh, buck signs, that, that's, that's, that's always a good one because they're going to return to it. Um, uh, this law, sometimes I put them where I shouldn't because some, you know, other people are going to walk by them, but uh, just somewhere, just history of being a deer hunter so long, I just know. Or, or seeing a bunch of deer tracks in a creek bed where they go down and back up. It's just beat out. So I get that, and I put the camera right there. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for where the deer tracks are because obviously there's no buck sign at the time. So sometimes I just find wore out places in the mud or anything. I just don't throw them right out in the wide open. Um, and I wish I could put some, some feed out or something and then, you know, bring them into it, but it's just not, not allowed. So you have to really think like a deer uh, and then you got to keep them off some of the main trails because there's people coming up and down there, you know, and I'm trustworthy, but I've only had actually one camera stolen in about 15 years. So, but obviously if it's a main trail, deer's going to uh, like a four wheeler trail or something, that's easy to do because they're going to pollen on it. Some of it's not going to travel, but uh, just look, look for deer tracks if it ain't got no bucks on when it comes to trails specifically, is there a specific kind of trail that you're looking to put a camera on? Like we've had, the reason I ask is some people will say you'll find that really, really heavy beat down deer trail. And that's like your doe trail, but then 50 yards off, you'll find that faint trail. And that's where the buck is walking. Do you ever target anything like that? Or do you target trail intersections or anything else about like trails in a specific way? Well, I don't know if I've ever heard of a buck in the doe trail. Uh, so I, I, I do target uh, like areas going into thickets. Okay. If you can walk down the edge of thickets and, and you, you can find where the deer has been going in and out of there, you know, due to the, the, the traffic of the deer's body or the deer's horns or whatever. And I, I will go up in the thicket some, and sometimes it'll open up into an opening and then, but it's still thicket all the way around it. And that's kind of like a little playground sometimes for deer. Uh, so I will put the camera there in that big opening. There's just things like that. And you're still in the thicket all the way around you, but you found an opening. Actually, it's a good place to hunt too. But you, now your camera pick up a, a, a vast range. So I've done found an area, a trail going into it, and probably multiple trails going out of it. But I just don't want it right on the trail because it's a that's a crappy picture or a video. 
I like to have him see him coming and whatever. And so now, what about buck sign? You mentioned that you like to put them where where you've been seeing buck sign in the past. Are you putting them on those scrape lines? Are you putting them on rub lines or any other kind of buck sign that you're keying in on specifically? Well, the scrape is the pollen. I don't put nothing on a hook tree. So unless it's a hook tree and a pollen together with a, you know, it's got to have the broke limb. It's got to have the limb above it and the pollen underneath it. That's the only place that I'm going to put a camera. The hook tree is, uh, there's different reasons for that. There's rubbing the velvet off. There's just sporadically walking through the woods and uh, scraping the tree because he's mad or something's wrong with him or, uh, so no, I'm going to put it on the pollens and I do carry cameras around with me while I'm hunting. And, uh, even like she said, uh, uh, Jacob said, having success with a bow, uh, I'll find fresh buck sign there and I'm going to throw it right there. Cause I just want to see what's, what's doing it. And then I can choose which camera I want to go back to. Okay. But, uh, like before I put them all out and I don't go check them until October. I leave them alone. So end of August, September. So when my birthday comes around on October 21st, that's when I start hunting my cameras or hunting these locations. And then I'll be a couple cameras next to me and I'll go pull them. I don't, I don't take the camera off tree. I don't put it out there. I'll go buy another camera. I change the card and then I come home to my laptop and then uh, I might, I might find a really big buck because I want to go over there and, and just spend some time on. Usually that's a mistake, but that's, that's what I'm after. You know, you zero in on a monster out there and you'll never see him because he's smart, but uh, you've already killed a bunch of little ones, so I, I might as well try to kill the big ones. So, so Sonny, one thing you mentioned on, on episode 40 when we first had you on is how you like to use your camera specifically on video mode and not on photo mode. Can you talk to us the reasoning why you like to do that? Because, you know, it takes up a lot more data on an SD card, so you got to be careful with that. But what is your thought process on running your trail cameras on video mode instead of on just a photo mode? Okay, well, the technology nowadays on these, even these cheap cameras, you know, and you put a big enough card in it, you won't have no problem at all. You'll have more of a battery problem than anything. And if you, if you buy the good batteries, don't, you know, cheat, cheat you out. Um, the reason to run it on video mode is, uh, and it's usually like a 10 or 15 second burst, uh, is you see so much more stuff, okay? Uh, I get to see deer fighting. I, got, I have that every single year. I get to see bears come up to my tree. Uh, and lick on lick on the camera and spin it around and bite it and uh, I get to see uh, them reach up and bite that limb off, okay? And yeah, your camera might get that in a caption, but you might not even tell what he was doing, or it might you might not tell that that actually happened. Uh, I get to see the, just the action of a doe coming by and a and a buck chasing it. Okay, you're getting pictures. So I'm watching movies, and I, I guess that's what I'm trying to tell you. I've, I've seen so much stuff. Um, I've had hoot owls light at nighttime. I've, I've had uh, I've had bears take my cameras off trees and not even hurt them, and sit around and play with them, sit on them, kick them around, turn them upside down, and they come back two or three days at a time. Now, I know we're not talking about deer, but uh, deer don't do that. But the bears are really smart. Out here, we have a lot of bears where I'm at, so I, I'm, I'm not running those snap, snap pictures. Uh, I want to see what's happening out there. Like I seen the wood ducks floating by my camera. 
they were beautiful. I got video of it. I could put it somewhere else and utilize it on uh, on my channel or something. Yeah, speak about uh, trail cameras on video mode. Last year, put a camera out on a slough uh, in Arkansas, in the area that we were hunting. Left it, came back and checked it in November. And I was looking at the camera, I'm like, man, like, because when I put it out, the slough was nearly dry. There's very little water. And when I came back, there's a lot of water in it. And I, I was looking at it, I brought my laptop out in the woods, and I was actually playing it on it to see if I wanted to move the camera or leave it there, because I came back from the muzzleloader hunt, came back during November. And I was like, man, what is on this camera? I'm like, there's a ton of blackbirds on here. And I kept looking, and it was wood ducks. And I mean, you know, like you see blackbirds, and it's like, you know, a couple hundred of them in a group. That's what it was like with these wood ducks flying into this saloon, walking up and feeding wow. on, on water oaks in front, of my, in front of my camera and just walking around and stuff. And it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, but again, you wouldn't get that from a, from a, uh, fo- from a uh, you know, just taking photos, which again, isn't having to do anything with deer. But one thing we've learned specifically with uh, running uh, video mode on your trail cameras is you get to see the direction the buck is coming, especially to a scrape. What direction is he coming from? And also, what direction is he actually leaving in the direction of? Uh, which, to me, is extremely helpful. You can kind of tell that on photos, but you don't know. When that camera takes that photo, did that deer spin around a little bit? Yep. Did he change? I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying because, you know, you can tell what what part of the woods he's coming out of and uh, maybe even what part of the woods he's going back into. So, um, yeah, it, it's just way better watching a TV show than it is looking at pictures. You know, you're looking at a book. Versus watching a watching a movie, and I don't I don't read books much. So. Let me ask you this also. So the data that you're getting off your trail cameras, you talk about like, you know, you put them out late August, early September, you'll come and check them mid the, you know, roughly mid October. And you get that big buck on camera. Of course, you're going to try to focus in on that area, maybe slip hunt around and try to pinpoint that deer. But also, do you use any of this data? Again, the videos that you get of some of these mature bucks that maybe make it throughout the season. Do you take in that information for where you're going to potentially hunt next year or how you're going to change your camera position for next season? So maybe information you learned from last year, how you're going to apply it for this year, both from hunting, but also where you're going to start putting trail cameras out late in August. Well, yeah, this is what I do. I mean, you know, I only hunt so many thousands of acres. And, and so um, I use flash drives because I want to clean my cards up all the time. So I, I establish all my big bucks and I exclude the little bucks. So I drop, I drop them all on flash drives. And then I go back and I walk my flash drives and I take notes. And, uh, and I see what times they come by and I see what dates they come by what time of the day and how many I seen from this camera. Uh, and then, you know, lots of it I can remember in my head. And so I know where I'm going to go the next year or maybe later in the season. Uh, I've never been real successful bow hunting or up there because I don't know, they just don't come by right where you want them to. So, and I, and I hadn't had a lot of time to hunt here in the last few years, but I'm going to get to hunt more this time. So, yeah, I compile a little bit on, on just don't just just so I don't have to remember everything because I'm running so many cards. Um, but and it doesn't tell me where that camera was sitting, but I have to go on my memory by that. But out of 15 cameras, I probably put 10 in the same spots every year, and then I'll put I'll choose a I'll choose another 10 if I got them or five, and I'll put them in new locations. And if I have better luck there, then I migrate cameras into it. And if I find a real big buck, I'll go put cameras all over him and try to watch him. Um, 
but still you got to stay away from him or you're going to scare him. So lots of times I think I actually do that to him. Uh, I get in there and put too many cameras trying to figure him out. And then he moves over on me or does something. I don't know. I know these people are not killing these dudes because I talk to the locals up there that run the dogs and they, they say they, they don't never kill big deer. So I can't believe it. Also, when it comes to trail cameras, what do you think maybe some of the biggest mistakes guys may do when they're starting to put out trail cameras and finding locations? Like, I know you probably talked to some other guys that run trail cameras as well. Do you see any common mistakes that people do when they run trail cameras or put trail cameras out that maybe you have like some advice for, for what to look for in order to be more successful catching that buck actually on trail camera, not missing him? Well, some of it's just idiotic stuff, you know. You need to point your camera north and south because if you don't, you're going to have some sunshiny pictures and uh, they're not going to turn out right. And obviously everything, and there's lots of other stuff that triggers the camera besides the deer. So you need to find, a, like in Kansas when we go up there, it's hard to put that camera out anywhere because of the sagegrass. It just does not want to work. Uh, it, it takes pictures of, so you really got to put it out in open fields or where there's nothing. Uh, so you want to set your camera up for success to start with. Uh, as, as far as the location after that, you know, I mean, you're going to pick the location out first. But even though that might be the best place to put it, but I know it's going to take pictures of something else. I just can't put it there or the sun's going to set right there. And when he comes through, it's going to, it's going to be blind in my camera. So position it due to the sun and other movement around it uh, sometimes uh, hinders where I really want to put it. And, and basically guys, it's just, I, I love putting them on them pollens because I know that's a deer with horns. And that's the deer I'm after. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm pretty uh, sure they don't, a lot of them get killed up there and they're there the next year. So I'll just go back in there where I seen the next one the next year. And uh, I'll put a camera and that might be wherever I seen the biggest one. That's where I'm going to hunt the next year, my first morning. If I you know, didn't get a chance to take him the year before. Sonny, is there anything that we've missed that you wanted to cover on this specific episode? I know we've covered a ton. I'll probably, the second we end this recording, I'll probably have 25 other questions specifically on slip hunting. Uh, just because I'm always fascinated by guys that do that. But uh, is there anything that we've we potentially missed or anything that uh, you el- you would want to cover else on this episode? No. You know, guys, uh, even if there was, there might be another episode in the future. So, uh I got to leave a little bit to talk about mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully I'll have some experiences this year and I'll have maybe just a story to tell you. Cause I love telling stories. Uh, I hadn't told you many about, I'd like to have a deer hunting story to tell you. And hopefully it's the slip hunting story because you're so fascinated by it. But um, I'm, I'm going to try to do y'all proud and, and at least do a 135 this year. And, uh, so, and I, I want to thank y'all for having me on the show. Uh, I've had a real good time and I'm, you know, I'm new at this. It's only my second one and uh, I'll have some scenery for you next time. If y'all invite me back. Oh yeah. No, we got to have you back on. I've I've, to the museum house and uh, we'll, we'll have plenty of stuff. We may even have to spin around and look. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We need to do a whole tour of the, uh, as you call it, the museum house with all, with all your uh, deer elk, I think said bear, all all kinds of stuff. You know, I got, I got I got a lot of stuff over there, but 
That's awesome. Kill stuff on my list. Absolutely. I want to kill an antelope, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that pretty soon. So just to just to do it. Absolutely, well, nice. Sonny. I've greatly appreciated you coming on the podcast. It's it's guys like you that get me excited about doing the podcast. Again, you know, the average listener probably won't know you unless they're personal friends with you or maybe follow along with you guys uh, on y'all's uh, page. But it's guys like you that are willing to come on that have all this experience that's willing to share it and, and really help other guys become more successful. Because I guarantee we're going to get quite a few stories, li- what we call listener success stories, come from this episode where guys go out this year for the first time ever, slip hunt, and kill a really nice buck, and then we'll hear about it. And I'll make sure I email you those stories yeah. as well. And I hope I hope something I said lead them to that. You know, I didn't want to talk about wearing fancy camouflage or doing this or the a lot of the scent that you wear or the paint on your face. And I was just trying to, you know, do everything possible. I mean, you know, don't leave one thing out. You know, hunt, hunt till you're exhausted, and, uh, and 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 stay out there. That's my that's my number one tip. Stay out there all the time. Do not come back to the house and take a nap. Take a nap out there, please. Okay? Take a nap on the ground. Okay, guys. I appreciate y'all having me. Absolutely. Sonny, thank you for joining us. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a couple buddies. Leave us a couple reviews as well on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And Sonny, thanks for joining us. And uh, guys, we'll catch you back here for this week's outro, talking about this episode and a lot more. So thank y'all for joining this episode. We'll catch you back for the next episode from the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.